Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We've talked a lot about America's broken immigration system over the years. It is broken. If you would have told me last year that it would be exposed as to how broken it is by Ukrainian refugees coming to the border, I don't know that I would have bought into that. But that's precisely what is happening. Fleeing Ukrainians are running straight into our nation's failures when it comes to immigration. Uh, joining us today is Jay Evenson, senior editorial columnist for the Deseret News. You can always read his uh, excellent writing and thinking at Deseret.com. And uh, Jay, thanks for joining us. And uh, you wrote a great piece uh, about this very issue of the exposing of how broken our system is by Ukrainian refugees. Yeah, thank you, Boyd. Um, this involves a, a Utah, a man uh, by the name of Brad Harrison, who's an Air Force veteran. He married a Ukrainian, and they were living in Ukraine for uh, years. And uh, when things started to, to heat up, uh, he decided to come over to the United States and wait for her. She was waiting for a visa from the U.S. Embassy. They didn't really expect that uh, uh, the war was going to break out like a lot of Ukrainians didn't. But when it did, she realized that she and their, their daughter, they have a daughter who's about 10 or 11, needed to leave. And so they made their way over to Poland. And then they heard President Biden say, you know, we're going we're gonna to welcome 100,000 Ukrainian refugees with open arms. You know, please come. So she thought, well, okay. And um, a lot of Ukrainians are going to Mexico right now because Mexico doesn't require a visa. And she, she didn't have her visa yet. So she flew to Mexico and then made away to Iwana. And Brad went down there to meet her. And he had already arranged with uh, Utah senators, um, uh, Mike, uh, or Mitt Romney and Mike Lee, to send letters to the Border Patrol telling them to, to welcome uh, his wife, Anna, and to uh, grant her uh, uh, entrance into the United States and told them when she would be arriving and what kind of car she would be in, etc. They pulled up to the border, and immediately she's treated like a criminal. She's uh, taken from the car. She's uh, put in a detention cell. They took away all her valuables, her jewelry, her cell phone. Uh, and she was there for five days. Mm. And I, I was lucky enough to talk to her uh, yesterday as the family was finally driving on their way to Utah. But she described uh, a, a room, she said, about 30 centimeters square. And um, there were uh, 22 women in there. There was one bench that could hold about three people. The rest of them had to sleep on the hard floor with uh, a, a yoga mat and a foil blanket. She said there were pregnant women in there. There were elderly women. These were all Ukrainians. And the uh, the border patrol people don't speak Ukrainian, don't speak Russian. 
And they were treating these people, interestingly enough, the way they treat everyone. And it really, it really puts in high relief how we are treating immigrants that try to enter this country through the South. Yeah, it is such an interesting thing. And you, you look at the confluence of what's going on down there between Ukrainians coming to the border. We had uh, Brad Stone from ABC News who was down there at the border. Uh, and he said it was just such an interesting mix of you had uh, Latin themed music coming out uh, of one of the cells. And then you had, you know, Ukrainian and Russian being spoken in another. Uh, and and his report was that this the border was not in any way, shape or form prepared uh, to deal with anybody. Uh, and so then the the circumstances, the conditions are 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 not uh, suited to to what they need to be, uh, and it just seems to me that this is just one more high resolution example uh, of just how broken it is. And and so what do we do? What's what's this gonna is this gonna nudge us anywhere in terms of getting some real solutions? I wish I could tell you, uh, boy, that it definitely was, but <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, you know, because today uh, we're seeing the results of uh, President Biden is is going to uh, begin relaxing the what's called Title 42, which uh, President Trump put into effect because of the uh, pandemic, which made it easier for Border Patrol people to turn turn back asylum seekers. And so uh, in reaction to this, uh, a lot of Republicans are saying, well, this is going to flood our borders. So uh, Governor Abbott of Texas is saying he's going to charter buses and he's going to take refugees and take them to Washington and let them out on the in the mall and let Washington deal with it. So we're seeing the same kind of sort of a gimmicky response. Now, at the same time, if, if President Biden is going to do this, he needs to find the resources. He needs to find a way to humanely, and there's the key word, humanely, handle people seeking asylum or seeking entrance into the United States. Uh, We need more of that and not just the political posturing. And I'm afraid we're just seeing that political posturing posturing over and over again. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to to hear uh, the relaxing of that Title 42 uh, uh, has been announced by the president. I don't think it actually begins until early May, if I remember correctly. Uh, and so that is going to create an anticipated surge uh, of people going there. I know there are a number of, of Democrats uh, in uh, kind of purple districts uh, who are not happy about this, that it's going to be a problem for them. Again, sadly, politically, uh, as opposed to policy-wise. Uh, and it seems to me that uh, we are going to see more gimmicks, more rhetoric uh, than we are silly, uh, serious policy discussions. Yes, and what we need to be seeing are real, uh, like you said, policy discussions and real solutions. And we've talked about this many times, but Utah has shown the way. Uh, we had uh, immigration uh, reform here about a decade ago. We brought all the sides together, came up with a solution that didn't uh, make everybody happy, but it allowed for some more uh, enforcement of immigration laws, but it still allowed a pathway for people to come here and legitimately work. We need to find those kinds of solutions. And at the time, it's the same way with all these uh, so-called Utah way solutions. We always think that, oh, this is going to be a model for the rest of the country. And it never seems to catch on that way. Um, I, I think, you know, we have our own problems here politically in Utah, but we have found the will at various times to come to legitimate solutions and to bring all parties together on some very difficult issues, including the intersection of, of LGBT 
rights and religious liberties, uh, but they've, we've never been able to export that to any other state, and I think that's really sad. Yeah, and I, I do think that's such a critical thing because it's it's not just a uh, a skill or a policy thing. It's a, In most cases, it's a will power. It, do you have the will to do it? And, and that takes leadership. Uh, and I don't think we've seen that from either Republicans or Democrats in, in Washington, D.C. When it comes to immigration, I'm still one of those who passionately believes we could probably solve 94% of this in an afternoon on the floor of the House and the Senate because everybody agrees that the system is broken and needs to be fixed. Uh, and yet nobody wants to fix it because it's so powerful politically. It is so powerful to raise money and to run campaign ads and to be a, a wedge issue against your opponent during a reelection campaign. Uh, and that's a leadership issue. It is, and um, you know, I, I acknowledge that it's easy to sit here on the radio and say that you ought to have political courage uh, when you look and, and you see the real chance that you may lose your seat if you do what's right. We we saw some of that at the legislature this year concerning the, the transgender athletes and uh, some well-known lawmakers who stood up and said, this may cost me my seat, but I'm going to vote this particular way. That's political courage, and it, you, you don't have a right to a, a seat of elected office for life. You, you need to sometimes put that on the line by doing what is right instead of what is politically expedient, and we don't see a lot of that. We probably haven't in, in the history of our country, but when we do, I think it's notable. Yeah, it is, and, and those are the kind of leaders that we want. Uh, we always say every boat has a great captain when the when the sun's out and the breeze is light and the sea is calm. <laughs> but the reason we elect people to these offices is to be the captain of the ship when the winds are contrary and the waves are rough and the and there is no sun. Uh, those are the days that you need a a captain who knows the sea, understands what that's all about, and understands the boat and who's on it. <laughs> and yes, uh, I, <laughs> Who realizes that sometimes the people on the boat aren't going to like what you're doing as a captain? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, great insight, as always. Yeah. It's a great piece. You can check out uh, Jay's piece on this. It's a, it's an amazing story, and it's a telling story uh, that we got to figure this out and get this right. So you can read Jay's piece uh, on fleeing Ukrainians run straight into Washington's failures. Uh, you can read that at Deseret.com. Jay, always appreciate your writing and always appreciate your deep and reasoned thinking. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. All right, that's Jay Evenson. Uh, he is he is one of the great ones and uh, always gives us a perspective that's beyond headlines, beyond the talking points, uh, and really down to it. And and I do. When, when I say I think we could solve 94.5% of immigration in an afternoon, I mean that. Uh, you can go walk the marbled halls of Congress uh, and and ask them, ask the members about entry exit systems, visas, uh, how we track people, who's coming in, who's going out. Uh, everybody agrees, but it's the politics that continue to get in the way. We need more captains of Congress uh, who are willing to do the hard thing, even if it might cost them reelection. Because uh, we got to get this fixed. Uh, it's important to our nation's future uh, and how we treat our fellow travels, travelers here on planet Earth. All right, we'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. We come back, a new documentary is out on Benjamin Franklin, Ken Burns. Fascinating discussion on Stephen Colbert. We're going to share that with you coming up next. Stay with us. 
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.